Okay, so hello everyone. Welcome to yet another episode of Let's Get Uncomfortable. Now this is a podcast where I discuss things that we are not aware about that make us feel uncomfortable and things which th- that should be discussed about. And this episode is very special for me because I'm trying something new and there are a couple of cool people with me also to do this. So as you all know that you know the media has not been acting like itself since lockdown started, like since ever, like in India. and there is also a very ethical barrier that they have crossed in reporting facts and reporting matters that are very important so i thought like i got inspired by this show called the newsroom and which is written by aaron sokin and even by some of the other creators on social media that you know are taking up in spreading information and news that the media is not doing so this episode is called news night and here i have with me the big four now a lit now telling you all a little about the big four they are basically three people who want to spread information in a much easy way they are like us they are young adults they are amateur professionals they are students but they are passionate about information related to business legal finance and the sustainability side of things and they wanted to start this blog or you can say this platform where they wanted to disseminate information in a very much brief and easy way so that you know it it's very light to take in and it's pretty interesting because they cover all the trends that's happening in our uh, pop culture and also in our uh, business sector finance sector legal sector so yeah here are the big four so i have sanjana kostub and shreya with me here from the big four So guys, how are you all feeling? Really excited, Abhishek. Thank you. Thank you for having us here, and looking forward to speaking, man. Just. What about you, Sanjana? It's our first time on a podcast, and it's a completely new experience. I'm really looking forward to this, and I'm pretty sure it's going to be so much fun. Okay, like themselves, they kept it brief. and up to speed so uh, i would like to explain you all how is going to work so news night basically has three subjects that we are going to discuss about it's business finance socio political and legal and we are going to share information and news articles with you all which have been thoroughly researched and presented by us and it will also be in a shorter format because we are going to keep it short and brief and simple for you all and so we are going to start it off with our business section now with the business section we collected articles that were very interesting and all of the articles in this podcast and information that we found out were not something that was widely known by people and it happened very recently so we are trying to you know share something with you all that you all don't know you all might not know because it happened right it happened in our pandemic and in the month and in the period of 2 months so uh, here we start with the business section first of all and i would like to start this business section by sharing something with you all which has happened in this lockdown and we really it went re- it really went under, under the radar because many of us don't know about this it's relating to reliance jio as you all know that you know reliance ambani and jio themselves are making a lot of big name and big news regarding the investments they are receiving regarding the profit 
profits they are earning regarding the business deals partnership and acquisitions they are making but there is one thing that nobody knew that was happening with them i'm going to share something about how reliance jio is battling the falling share of active users on their network so what's happening is as you all know jio is the youngest telecom operator in india it started just 3 years ago and according to tri which is the telecom regulatory authority of india they they told us that the jio added 78 lakh users every month for the last consecutive 37 months but in november 2019 they faced their first decline in the number of active users now in june 2020 tri also recorded that jio has 87 million inactive users for their 4g cellular network and here's the interesting thing try also told us about that jio's june database june user base is 310 million whereas further jio reported that it has 397 million revenue generating customers which is 28% higher than what try recorded and plus they also have in 87 million inactive 4g users so there is a way huge gap in this differential stats that we are seeing from jio and it's even observed by one of one some of the uh, equity and financial analysts as well one of the officials from kotak institutional equities and i quote he said who are these 87 million jio subscribers who are recharging their sims regularly but are not connected to jio's network it's also confusing them because try provided data where it said that jio has the highest number of users which only use the network sometimes and this is confusing to them because jio sims are used in the primary sim slots even in dual sim phones and i and we found the reason why this is happening it's because like when jio started it started offering their services for free and then it gradually went to offering dirty and cheap plans to in order to snatch away users from the other telecom partners but now what they have done is like they have started charging customers for voice calls and also they have started steadily increasing their broadband charges which is the data charges now uh, if you see the other networks most popularly airtel and vodafone they offer free talk time whereas reliance jio has started to charge customers for their voice calls so that is that is one of the reasons why customers are you know throwing this backlash at them and this also resulted in bharti airtel which is airtel uh, snatching the number one spot from jio as 98.14% of airtel's users were active which is 20% higher than jio who's at 78.15% and and this happened because airtel improved its network and it has also improved its data plans and reliance jio was on the verge of becoming india's largest telecom operator but now because of this setback jio has jio uh, jio's share in stock market has dropped by 18 base points whereas bharti airtel has saw an increase of 45 base points so that's it from my side and moving on to kostub uh thank you abhishek uh, i mean i just want to speak about some more bad news for reliance so as we know earlier this year in august reliance announced a stellar deal with the future group uh, to buy its assets which included brands like the big bazaar easy day brand factory brands that we everyday use 
this deal was worth around 24700 crores and it officially made reliance retail the biggest retail hub in our country and again the number one spot spot what uh, maybe a few people might have missed out or it seems to be that even future group has missed out is a small clause that amazon had put last year when they invested in the future group and they agreed to put in around 1500 crores of investment into the future group's assets amazon had clearly specified that they would not allow future group to uh, get or enter any transaction or get any investments from large players in the same sector such as reliance this was clearly done uh, as a hope for amazon to gain a foothold uh, in the retail market where it dominates in the online part but not so much in the offline part well india has a peculiar situation for amazon wherein they know that in retail works more on the on the offline channels than the online channels in india and amazon wanted to gain a foothold and this clause helped them uh, or maybe gave them an option in the future to gain some foothold in india they have objected to this and they have filed a lawsuit against future group right now and this has caused a delay in the stellar merger between future group and reliance both the parties have hired top lawyers and they have taken this to the singapore center for international arbitration and they are battling it out to see who's in the right reliance says that it is in the right because it has not entered into into any merger or acquisition it's just bought assets from future which is a everyday thing and uh, doesn't violate the contract well uh, i don't know how this is going to play out for them i guess the legal aspects would be better mentioned by shreya uh, who would be covering it from uh, from the legal side of things and it just we just have to wait and see how mukesh ambani and amazon play this out in the future thank you kostub for your valuable insight let us understand legally what caused the hitch earlier this month Amazon filed a legal suit against Future Group over the latter's alleged breach of the non-compete clause in the contract between both parties. According to the contract signed between Amazon and Future, the sale of the business to rivals, for example Reliance, is barred. Amazon in its legal notice has claimed that the Future Group violated the deal between the two companies when it entered into an agreement with Reliance earlier this year causing breach of contract. Let us understand breach of contract briefly. A breach of contract is a violation of any of the agreed upon terms and conditions of a binding contract. Amazon has now filed a suit against the Future Group with the Singapore International Arbitration Centre. The legal remedies that are available are mediation and arbitration. Let us understand these legal terms briefly. In a mediation procedure, a neutral intermediary, the mediator, helps the party to reach a mutually satisfactory settlement of their dispute whereas in arbitration a procedure in which a dispute is submitted by agreement of the parties to one or more arbitrators can make a binding decision on the dispute here you choose for a private dispute resolution instead of going to the court a hearing of the arbitration took place at the Singapore International Arbitration Centre on october 16th after amazon slapped a legal notice on future group alleging a violation in the agreement with the e-commerce giant according to sources familiar with the matter 
former attorney general of Singapore, Mr. V. K. Raja, the sole arbitrator in the Amazon versus Future versus Reliance matter, has heard the ongoing trial and is expected to deliver his judgment in the next few days. Future retail side is represented by noted advocate Mr. Harish Salve. Amazon's decision of enforcing its right has had a huge market impact in the way creditors view Future Group. In near future, several creditors could be approaching various legal forums to secure their money. India's antitrust watchdog, the Competition Commission of India, will review the offline and online aspects of the deal between Reliance and Future Group and their effect on the competition in the sector. The tussle between Future and Amazon comes at a time when Reliance has been blustering its position in the country's retail segment run by India's richest man, Mukesh Ambani, who has been on a fundraising spree since the lockdown. Reliance is known to have the best legal eagle minds in its arms and a future detailed report on the ongoing matter is awaited. Thank you. Thank you, Shreya. That was really informative. Now, I will be covering the news that surrounds Jet Airways, which was grounded over a year ago due to acute funds crunch under the ownership of its founder, Naresh Goyal. We all know that it had to stop operations since it didn't have enough funds to carry out its normal business activities. 18 months after it shut down and 16 months after it became the first airline company to be admitted under insolvency and bankruptcy code, which is the IBC, Jet Airways is finally all set to make a comeback. But here's the twist. There are going to be two new owners, which is UK-based Calrock Capital and UAE-based entrepreneur Murari Lal Jalan. Now, as the committee of creditors have voted for Calrock Capital to revive the airline with a majority resolution professional of Jet Airways, will now have to get the plan approved by National Company Law Tribunal, that is the NCLT. Upon receiving the NCLT approval, they would need to apply to the Civil Aviation Ministry and Corporate Affairs Ministry for their approvals, respectively. Now, this is something that's very interesting. The revival of Jet Airways is happening at a time when airlines across the aviation center are struggling to keep flying due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And ever since this pandemic took over the world, several airlines have filed for bankruptcy and the biggest of the carriers were forced to ground their fleet and they had to fire employees. Off late, it's a good thing that the sector is beginning to recover some of the lost ground. But, and in India, the traffic is still nowhere near what it was in uh, 2019. It has improved on a month-to-month -month basis, the flying numbers, but still, it's, we still need to get back on track and we are far away from the goal right now. Now, in many ways, ways, circumstances could turn out to be a blessing in disguise for new owners. And here's why. So, uh, since uh, the pandemic broke out, aircraft leasing rates have gone down. Fuel has become cheaper. And getting key manpower like pilots and engineers has become easier and cheaper. So, this is something that Calrock and Jalan can really, you know, uh, take advantage of and help revive the airlines. But like I said, it's going to be really difficult. And here's one of the hurdles. The Calrock Jalan bid is supposed to offer a payout of rupees 850 crores to the lenders. And one of the lead lenders is SBI, that's the State Bank of India. 
and this also includes equity in the airline to the banks. On the other hand, the FSTC Imperial Consortium offers a little less than rupees eight hundred crores. Now, Jet Airways has a piled up debt of rupees eight thousand crores, and it also faces claims claims of nearly rupees forty thousand crores, including salaries of employees which still haven't been paid. Now, Money Control has previously reported that the winning consortium had roped in two executives who were part of the senior management at Jet Airways before it uh, filed for bankruptcy. Now, this includes Nikos Kardasis. He was the former CEO of the airline and was considered really close to the founder Nareesh Goyal. So, he will be on the new team while Jet Airways is going to be revived by the UK UAE duo. Now, while it's expected to reveal more on its resolution and in the coming weeks, Alpha Jalan combined and tweaked its original proposal, its original proposal, which had focused on reviving the airline of international routes. But right now, they are only going to be focusing on domestic routes before they go international. Now, all eyes are going to be on Alpha Jalan combined, as reviving Jet Airways may be. More challenging than just winning the creditors' final. That's about it from me. Okay, thank you, Sanjana, for sharing such a good article. And now I would like to present my second interesting piece of article that I found, which was really interesting for me because I found that Indian IT firms are on an acquisition spree in the lockdown. So, further more about this. Many IT firms in this pandemic are acquiring companies left, right, and center. Examples are Infosys and Wipro have acquired two firms each in May 2020 itself, and global IT firms like Cog Cognizant and Accenture, who have a very big presence in the IT sector of India, have made 15 acquisitions in this meantime. So why is this happening? Is because the pandemic has changed the way the IT businesses function. they can no longer rely on their traditional support systems and covid-19 has forced them to transform into digital fully into digital companies which in order to survive for them is very crucial and with this landscape changing it firms have only two options either to build this digital infrastructure themselves or to acquire it and according and according to uh and according to ibm's lingraju soccer he said that in order or in order to for these it firms to survive the best option right now is to acquire rather than build this because that will uh, lead to more cost that will lead to more increase in cost and investment and acquiring would be a much better way to face this situation now taking a look at these acquisitions some of the acquisitions most of them were done in the area of cloud cyber security and firms which offer specialized services in healthcare and telecommunications in july wipro acquired 4c and infosys recently acquired guide vision now guide vision and 4c both are european companies and they offer consulting and implementation services for for b2b i for b2b companies and also provide data and also provide data services on a cloud platform which is a very attractive proposition for the it firms currently now talking about our indian it firms salil parekh of salil parekh who is the ceo of infosys said during the company's general and annual general meeting that infosys is looking at acquiring strategic uh, 
partnership that will help the company expand in regions like Europe and also gain technical capabilities uh, in investing in investing in cloud and big data analytics. Now, another aspect in the acquisitions that have taken place is IT firms are spreading their wings out and you know having and uh, dipping their hands and legs into healthcare and telecommunication sector, which have proved to be a very important part since the lockdown started. And one such example is Infosys, who acquired Kaleidoscope Innovation. Now, Kaleidoscope is responsible for designing and developing uh, in the medical equipment space where Infosys wants to dabble their hands in. So, as you can see, the IT firms are spreading their wings into all these other sectors which will help them in expanding their portfolio and they are also focusing mainly on cloud platforms companies or startups that are offering services on a cloud platform in order to bolster their development and their uh, services wing and in order to expand more and you know take uh, take advantage of this lockdown because that is the only way for their survival okay so that's it from my side and now i would like kaustuk to continue with his article thanks abhishek uh, now i'm just going to focus on a sector that's actually been ignored and we don't hear much about it in the news the non-governmental organizations or the ngos i want to talk about this recent act known as the foreign contribution regulation act or the fcra introduced by the government now what this act has done it has made uh, the receiving of foreign funds to these ngos very restrictive and very limited now, due to this, one of the biggest human rights organizations in the world, Amnesty, had to shut shop in India because their flow of funds were made quite restrictive by the FCRA. Now, the spillover effect is actually on the uh, grassroots level NGOs that work with the local populations and make their lives better in terms of education, health, or any other things that people uh, or the basic facilities that, are, that, are, that uh, the locals in our country lack. The grassroots uh, heavily relied on foreign funds and due to this new act, it has made it difficult for them to access this pool of funds. Also, it has made it restrictive for them to go to the larger NGOs and get any grants from them because re-granting has been banned under this act even if you are registered with the proper authorities. This has just made the regulations in this sector even more uh, difficult uh, and made, made the operations for these grassroots level NGOs just difficult. Uh, I don't know what to say because the act itself was not in the public domain till the last minute it was introduced in the parliament and it was passed with so much haste that there was no consultation with these NGOs or any relevant bodies. This comes at a time of COVID-19 when India is heavily dependent on these NGOs to help stop the spread and also provide the, un the less fortunate people with the required necessities. It also comes at a time when our Prime Minister himself has praised the work of these NGOs. But the act has, it's just made, the, made it difficult for them to operate. Now what remains to be seen is how the NGOs tackle these problems. And uh, I hope, I think it's just that we hope for the best for them. Uh, that's it from my side and I would like to pass it on to Sanjana now. Thanks Kostav, that was really informative and really interesting to know. Now I will be covering something which not many people have uh, heard, heard about and you know it's not being given much importance in our country. 
So what I'll be talking about is how India is missing its relative comparative advantage by not emphasizing low-skilled labor exports. India's COVID-19 economic gloom has turned into a despair this week. And this is because that our GDP, that is gross uh, domestic product, has been lower for 2020. And surprisingly, it has been lower than our neighbor Bangladesh. Now, World Bank's former chief economist, Kaushik Basu, had recently tweeted, any emerging economy doing well is good news. But it's shocking that India, which had a lead of 25% five years ago, is now trailing. And this cannot be truer. Ever since it began opening up the economy in the 1990s, India has always dreamt of emulating China's rapid expansion. And after three decades of persevering with that campaign, slipping behind Bangladesh is obviously going to hurt its global image. Now, the West wants a meaningful counterweight to China after seeing how it has disrupted the world literally. The partnership will be predicated on India not get will be predicated on India if it does not get stuck in a lower middle income trap. And sadly, this is exactly what's happening right now. Now, the relative underperformance may also dent our self-confidence. If a country with large power ambitions is beaten in its own backyard, with, and to make the matters worse, is being beaten by a smaller nation, which it helped to liberate in 1971 by going to war with Pakistan. Its influence is obviously going to be waned in South Asia and in the Indian Ocean. Now, since we are speaking about this, let's try to figure out where exactly we are going wrong. We can surely blame the pandemic right now because it has been causing a global uh, downturn. But the pandemic is not exactly the sole reason for this. Now, Bangla, the key factor for India's trailing GDP is the fact that it has not been extensively making use of its low-skilled labor exports, which Bangladesh has been doing for a very long time. Our neighbor, Bangladesh, is doing well because it's following the path of the previous Asian tigers. It has been, uh, it has been manifesting its low-skilled uh, low good, uh, goods exports, and it's in line with its share of poor country working-age population. Similarly, Vietnam is also punching slightly above its weight. But basically, both are taking a leaf out of China's playbook. And China has held on to a high GDP growth rate for decades by carving out for itself a bigger dominance of low-skilled goods manufacturing than warranted by the size of its labor pool. India, on the other hand, is going in the opposite direction. It's not choosing to produce the things that could have absorbed its working-age population of 1 billion into factory jobs. It's been quoted that India's missing production in the key low-skill textiles and clothing sector amounts to $140 billion, which is 5% of India's GDP. Now, this is huge and you cannot ignore this number. Now, if half of India's computer software exports in 2019 ceased to exist, it would create a terror. But on the other hand, that 60 billion loss would have been the same as the foregone exports annually from low-skill production, which is happening right now. It's real and nobody wants to talk about it. Policymakers don't want to acknowledge that the shoes and apparel factories that were never born or were forced to close down could have also earned dollars and created mass employment. They would have provided a pathway for permanent rural to urban migration in a way 
that jobs require higher levels of education and training never can. This is an interesting fact. Bangladesh has two out of five women of working age in the labor force. And this is double India's 21% participation rate. This is something we can learn from Bangladesh. And a bigger danger now is that instead of taking corrective action, politicians might double down on past mistakes and they try seeking salvation. They have quoted like poorer than Bangladesh. And you know, it's not a big deal. Never mind. We can erect barriers to imports and make stuff for the domestic economy. Let's create jobs that way. But is this the correct way to go? It's going to all of a sudden just be 1960s and 1970s and we are just closing the economy again. And that is not the best solution right now. And trade has worked for the country. It's the composition that's wrong. We need to take advantage of our low-skilled labor. And this low-skilled labor can indeed increase our GDP by 5%, as I've said earlier. And that is surely not a number you cannot ignore. Now, given the urgent challenge of creating at least 8 million jobs a year, it's also the country's biggest post-pandemic headache. So now it's time to question ourselves, do we, can we really afford to ignore this? That's it from my side and Kosovo will take over from there. Thank you so much, Sanjana. And now that concludes our business section and we would like to take you to the finance section of things. Thank you for listening to part one. Be sure to check out part two, which features financial news and sociopolitical news. Thank you.